This is The Candidates, a limited podcast series by Only Sky Media, highlighting non-religious candidates in the 2022 midterm elections. I'm your host, Sarah Levin. In this episode, I speak with Senator Megan Hunt, who's running for re-election to Nebraska's 8th Legislative District. She single-handedly defeated a full abortion ban that had no exceptions for rape or incest by filibustering the bill for eight hours. We talk about that and a whole lot more from sex education to brain dream and how government could work better. Take a listen. Hello, I am joined here by Senator Megan Hunt, who represents District 8 in Nebraska and is running for re-election. Welcome, Senator. Thank you, Sarah. It's great to be here. So I want to start um, by asking you about what it's like to have served and run as an open atheist in Nebraska um, and what you think as an atheist, your values bring to the table, both as an elected official and as a candidate? Well, I, I talk to a lot of religiously unaffiliated people or people who are non-believers and they feel really nervous about, um, you know, your question, like, what was it like running as an atheist? I want to run for office, but I'm uh, not a person of faith and I'm worried I'm going to be attacked and things like that. And my view when I was running was really like, if I hold something back about myself and I don't allow voters to get to know me as I really am, I'm really kind of taking away an opportunity for them to choose somebody to represent them. One of my missions as a politician, as an elected official, is to really make people care more about these local elected offices because these are the places where we really vote on things and pass policies that affect them the most. Right. And I really love what you said about giving the voter an opportunity to really get to know you. Um, do you feel like in the process of um, just being open about about being an atheist, obviously you're not running on it. It's not the only defining feature, but do you feel like you've had an opportunity to educate people about sort of what that actually means and maybe more what it doesn't mean? Sometimes. I mean, it's not something that I lead with. And so, you know, it's not like I'm evangelizing, so to speak, ever. But um, if people <laughs> ask me about it, yeah, <laughs> if people ask me about it, um, yeah, I mean, I'm happy to talk about what it means to me and my journey, my faith journey. You know, everybody, whether you're um, Buddhist or Muslim or Catholic or evangelical or a non-believer, everybody has a faith journey in their life. And, you know, I was raised Catholic. Mm -hmm. I have friends who are of all faiths and all faith backgrounds. And that's actually a really normal human experience. Like, I think probably most people um, grew up in a faith tradition that they've either questioned or left or... Um, you know, been influenced by something else and kind of integrated their beliefs in some way. And so what I'm describing to people as a non-believer is actually the same type of experience that most people have, which is just a journey on their faith to figure out um, what kind of worldview makes the most sense for them that they feel like they can make the most impact and do the most good with in their communities. And that's what people relate to. They know what that's mm -hmm. like. I would like to see more Jewish people get elected. 
In Nebraska, we've never had a Jewish state senator. We've never had a Muslim state senator. And yeah. that is where I really think we're missing an opportunity for representation because when elected bodies look like the people they represent, they work better for them. And yes, I mean, I'm giving representation to non-believers, but there are still large swaths of people out there who don't have an elected official who understands their faith experience. In Nebraska, one thing I can tell your listeners is that we have a very unique political system. We have the only officially nonpartisan legislature in the country. So we don't have any majority minority leaders. We don't have any caucuses. And every member of the legislature has kind of the same power, which is great for the minority, <laughs> for people like me. Um, and uh, we also have the only one house legislature in the country. So we don't have a house and a Senate. We just have one body, the legislature. And we have the smallest legislature in the country. So it's only 49 members um, with all of us having, you know, really the same opportunity for leadership and, and um, you know, standing out as everybody else. So it's a very unique system that's very egalitarian. Um, and that's something that has made Nebraska unique because we are a conservative state, we're a red state, but because of the structure of our legislature and the political culture that creates in our state, we have a lot more moderates in power. We have more opportunities for progressives to exercise influence than you would see in other red states. So this is a great thing for representation. On the other hand, um, this balance is precarious. There are always people who are trying to change this system, who are trying to make it so that we can put our thumb on the scale a little bit for um, the ultra conservative, you know, MAGA side of the Republican Party, the intolerant wing of the Republican Party. And they are starting to succeed in Nebraska. So I feel like we are starting in my state to see a more serious turn that, you know, establishment Republicans hate, um, Democrats and progressives hate, and it's not good for the people of Nebraska because most Nebraskans are actually pretty moderate. They are not far right folks. And so we have a disconnect between the candidates who are running for office and getting elected and the political orientation of the average Nebraskan. This is probably a common problem in a lot of states is the people who end up running for office are like much more radical than the average citizen, the average voter. Um, and we're certainly seeing that in Nebraska. You know, if you look at who's running for office, this is a very extreme field of candidates. And this makes me very worried for the next, you know, five, 10 years of policy in Nebraska and how this is going to affect us for generations to come. What is driving that disconnect? Is it turnout at primaries? Is it just vocal minorities sort of drowning out the, the middle? What, what's causing that disconnect? I think normal people don't want to run for office. They see the cost. I mean, to run for the legislature, mm -hmm. it's getting into like half a million dollars. It's a crazy amount of money you need to win one of these races. You know, in Nebraska, we make $12,000 a year in the legislature for basically full-time work. And that turns a lot of people off. You have to be, 
either independently wealthy or you have to have another job or you have to have a spouse or a partner to support you. So that cuts a lot of people out of the running. You know, it's really the people on the extremes who feel like they have the most to lose politically. And that's a huge motivating factor to get them to want to run for office. So, um, you know, if you're on the far right and you think that, you know, uh, critical race theory is taking over our schools and trans people are assaulting everyone in the bathroom and you have these very insane conspiratorial beliefs, uh, you're more motivated to run for office. And I think that that's just like snowballed over the last couple decades. And there's just very, very little incentive for moderate, normal, professional, everyday folks to say, yeah, look at what's going on in politics. I think I'd like to be a part of that. Like no one in their right mind would think that. So um, I don't think it's a voter problem. I think that this is a, a mistake that parties make. They say, oh, we need to register people to vote. We need to make sure people are voting. And there needs to be a focus on get out the vote, but we don't have enough of a focus on candidate recruitment and building a pipeline of people who mm. are rational, reasonable, evidence-focused, you know, representatives who can actually understand what normal people go through and who aren't going and running for office just because they're motivated by some extremist view or some conspiracy theory, because that's what we're seeing more and more nationwide. One thing that I've always thought might help increase trust in government and sort of go a long way toward repairing the fabric of democracy that has been so um, frayed in the last several decades is if government could go on the road a little bit. So much of government happens in capitals of states. And there's people in rural parts of states, in um, other parts of the communities who don't really see the work government's doing. I think that the Supreme Court should do hearings all over the states. I think that um, the DMV should have a van and go on the road and go to other communities and be, you know, taking care of business with the people, like going to where they are and making it easy for them. Um, and I think that state senators and state representatives should be going around the state with each other and talking about what they've worked on together and what they've accomplished. There's kind of a joke I have in my head, which is to fix democracy, people need to see the DMV is working. And it's kind of a joke, but it's also kind of serious. Like when people don't feel like these minute functions of government are working, are functioning, it really decreases trust in the whole systems. I was never thinking about this. I never wanted to, you know, I was one of those people I described where I look at how government's working and I say, uh, I'd rather freaking die than like ever have anything to do with that. I've been a business owner in my district for just about 20 years. Um, I ran a clothing boutique and a stationery shop, and I've just been a shop girl, you know, my whole career. And um, I'm a single parent. In 2015, I was working with a group of activists and advocates to update our sex education curriculum in our public schools here in Omaha, where I live. 
at the time, the curriculum hadn't been updated since 1971. So since then, we've had an increasingly wow. out and increasingly depressed and suicidal LGBTQ population. We've had the AIDS epidemic and a huge increase in STDs and STIs. We've had the internet and everything that comes along with that. So in some cases, there were kids who are getting the same sex education that their grandparents had gotten. And at the time in my county, we also had some of the highest rates of chlamydia and gonorrhea in the entire country. So I was part of a group that knew to reduce those numbers and make a real public health impact, as well as just prepare these kids better for life. They needed age appropriate, medically accurate, research-based sex education. And long story short, it was very, very difficult, but we did it. It was very controversial, but we did it. And the rates of STDs in our community started to go down. L last year, I passed mm -hmm. a bill to allow caregivers to apply for unemployment. So people who have to leave work because they have a sick loved one or a sick child or parent, they're eligible now in Nebraska to apply for unemployment to, to care for that family member. Um, I introduced and passed the name, image, and likeness bill that we have in Nebraska, which is related to college athletics, and it's letting college athletes um, make money from their reputation, basically, which they weren't allowed mm -hmm. to do under NCAA rules before that. Um, I've really led the charge on expanding food access, working on expanding SNAP, working on expanding housing assistance. And then every time we have a bill, I try to make sure that we put like a non-discrimination clause in there so that it doesn't affect people based on their race, sex, nationality, all of that, but also uh, gender uh, expression and sexual orientation. Really, I think some of the most important things I've done has been defense more than offense. In April, we defeated a full abortion ban in Nebraska, which shocked everybody. Nobody can believe that we defeated this in Nebraska. I, I filibustered that bill for eight plus hours, and that's what it took to, to kill it in the end. And so it's really a lot of that floor work and strategy and knowing the rules, knowing procedurally what can be done in order to stave off some of the worst things that are happening. And that's what I've contributed to the legislature and to the state. I volunteer at the clinic that we have here and we are seeing patients from uh, Texas, from uh, Indiana, from uh, Maine, like, man, people are coming from all over the country to get abortion care in Nebraska. And whenever I see a license plate roll up, that's like Texas or, you know, Alabama or Missouri, I feel so proud of what we did here because I know that we, um, we're the reason in the legislature right now that these people are able to get the care that they need. We're trying, we're gonna to continue to try, but we're also experiencing blowback that I have to really consider. Um, you know, because of this attempt we had statewide in the last couple of years to have sex education required in schools. And again, this is not sex lessons. This is medically accurate, age-appropriate, research-based education about biology. This is all it is. And um, after we tried that and failed, 
so many people ran for office who their single issue was keeping this out of schools, um, putting God back into schools, putting Bible-based learning back into our education. And they're going to succeed because normal people aren't running. And this freaks me out a little bit. And you have to think like, did we do more harm by trying to push this issue statewide because we activated so many people who are going to take us so far backward in a way that's going to be so difficult to undo. So this is something I struggle mm. with. Um, this is all part of advocacy and activism is the strategy of what can we accomplish? When is it the right time? Where? And what will happen if we fail? Um, because the goal always has to be harm reduction. It has to be, in this case, just keeping these kids safe, making sure that LGBTQ youth are in affirming spaces in our public schools, um, making sure that kids who have, you know, medical situations are supported. And this is what I just really have to think about going forward. Sometimes the solution doesn't live in the government. Sometimes the solution isn't for a school board to do something or for the legislature to do something. It might be for parents and teachers and people who are closest to the issue to find a way to give support to the people who are needing it, who are being left behind by the system um, in a way that protects them, protects vulnerable kids instead of putting a spotlight on them so that all these haters can come and focus on them and bring all that hate down upon them. Um, what I think we may need to do in the future is just focusing more on school, individual school-based efforts. I mean, principals have a lot of power around curriculum. Teachers, a good teacher with a supportive principal can save lives. And we know that, like we know the impact that these individual educators can have on kids and they don't need permission from the state school board to do that. So in the future, the effort might be more hyper-local, um, hyper-attuned to the needs of those individual classrooms and school districts. And that's what, that's what grassroots organizing is really about. Because once we show other parents of kids in these classrooms, other parents from these schools, we grow it to a, a uh, school district, then the parents and the people and the voters will be demanding the change because they've seen firsthand that it's safe, that it's okay, that the sky doesn't fall if, you know, if an 18-year-old learns what a condom is. And um, this is just a lesson that I feel like you can apply to so many things in policy work. Um, so yeah, the solution isn't always like we need to pass a bill. Sometimes the solution is parents need to organize and how can someone like me, a leader in politics, facilitate that? There were a few things that really stood out to me um, on your website, your campaign website. Um, one thing that's come up in actually a number of other interviews um, is brain drain mm -hmm. uh, as a problem for, for uh, a number of states that don't have these, you know, massive centers, you know, like, uh, like New York or California. Right. So I'm really curious to hear about 
any, what, what are your ideas for, um, and you can name as many as you want, um, you know, innovative ideas to deal with that problem? Cause it's, it's happening in a, a number of different States. Brain drain is probably my number one issue facing Nebraska. Young people, young professionals, all the way up to, you know, retirement age people, they tell us all the time what they want this state to look like. They want public transportation. They want affordable housing. They want an inclusive and welcoming community for our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, for immigrants and migrants and new Nebraskans. And they want elected officials, they want a governor, they want a legislature that will take an evidence and research-based approach to policy and not be reactionary, not be, um, you know, catering toward the, the far right wing of the Republican party, which is what we see more and more, you know, oh, you see this in Texas, like crazy, like in Florida, uh, all over the country, red states are getting so much more conservative, but this is actually not what people want. This doesn't reflect the actual political identity of most people in the United States. And you know, I'm not saying they're progressive. I'm saying they're not you know, far right extremists actually, but to look at our elected officials, you'd think that that's what everybody is. And that's why the rest of the world makes fun of us. That's why the blue states make fun of us is they think we're all these backward hick people um, because we look intolerant, not because we're farmers. Farmers are amazing. Not because we're religious. Christians can, you know, are wonderful people. It's because we're intolerant and that's what makes us the laughing stock and what makes it so hard for people to take us seriously and what makes young professionals look at our communities and say, uh, that's not somewhere I could ever live. I, um, know personally, like individually of many people who have been offered jobs at our universities. We have an amazing flagship land grant university system in Nebraska. Um, really, really good college good university system, but it's hard to recruit people to come teach here because uh, they go, oh, I got an offer from Nebraska and Oregon and California and Illinois. And guess what? Nebraska is like at the very bottom of my list because I want to live in a place that is not intolerant, that, you know, doesn't ban abortion, that doesn't, you know, have unprecedented discrimination against, um, you know, people of color. And uh, these are just the things that lawmakers have to take seriously. It's not just a tax problem. It's not just about property taxes and cost of living and stuff like that. It's about culture. And what really makes somebody want to live somewhere is the culture. It's not, you know, what the property tax rate is. It matters, but um, I think we could do a little more to kind of show people how amazing the state really is. I mean, I live here by choice. I live here on purpose. I could move if I wanted to, but I really love Omaha. It's whenever people come visit Omaha and if any of your listeners like ever come through here, please hit me up and I'll make sure you have a really good time. Um, it's one of those cities where people visit and then they go, oh my God, Omaha is actually really cool. I had no idea that it was like this and it shouldn't be such a secret. Everyone in the country should want to come visit Omaha because we have a lot to do here and it's fun and the people are awesome. Um, but we have elected officials who are, are reinforcing stereotypes 
about red states, about our communities. Mm -hmm. And that's, people are very allergic to that. A policy issue on your campaign website is around uh, marijuana. Where Where is that issue right now in terms of um, how Nebraskans feel about marijuana? And, and do you think that's something we're going to see progress on in the next few years? Is that 10 years down the road? Like, tell us about kind of how that's playing out. Well, most Nebraskans support making cannabis legal, if not for, you know, adult use, for you know, medical use. We don't even have legalized medical cannabis in Nebraska, which, you know, I joke if we legalized medical cannabis, it would finally bring Nebraska into 1996 because that's like the level in, in this country is, um, I feel like we're often just like the last to adopt something or it's, it's because of federal legislation that finally makes something legal here. Honestly, I think that, I think that medicinal cannabis and adult use is going to be legalized nationwide before we get it done here in Nebraska, which is really depressing because we're surrounded mm. by all kinds of states that have it legalized. And we have decades of evidence from other states who have had it legal for a very long time. Um, and obviously the benefits are there and I completely support it. I, what troubles me is how, um, the lack of racial equity that has been given thought to in these policies. Um, you know, I support legalizing cannabis for medical and adult use, but I also support allowing people with cannabis convictions and marijuana convictions to clear their records or modify their records um, mm -hmm. and possibly get some kind of restitution for their time served. Because, you know, mm -hmm. I smoked pot when I was a teenager because I'm normal, like so many people did. And, you know, I'm, I'm almost 38. I have, of course, used cannabis in my life, legally and illegally. But um, when you look at who, who gets involved in the carceral system for illegal drug use, it's not people that look like me. And that's a huge mm -hmm. problem. So we have to, you know, begin to kind of reconcile our failed war on drugs by legalizing cannabis and also trying to make some kind of restitution or bring some kind of justice to the people who have been unfairly targeted for generations for, um, you know, drug convictions. You know, our governor is on CNN or MSNBC or whatever saying, if you legalize marijuana, it's going to kill your kids. Like, why would you say that? That's so extremist and weird. Like, nobody thinks that. I have this colleague, we had a, a debate to legalize medicinal cannabis, and he was saying he has goats on his property who eat ditchweed, and then they kill each other because they're high. It's like, oh my God, none of you know what you're talking about. Like, none of this is based in reality. And so, again, as as we have said, the views of the average Nebraskan and the average American is completely out of line with the views of the average elected official and politician because we, we're not sending our best. You know, we don't have the, the right people running. And the people can do something about this. And I'm not just talking about voting. Like, if you've got three freaks on the ballot, what's it going to help to vote? you got to vote. But, like, we have a deeper problem than that. You have to be pestering your elected officials. You have to be talking to them. You have to bother them. Um, 
go to their office and follow them when they go get their coffee. Like this is what people have to do more and more of and not be afraid to do things like that. I mean, I would love for you to share more about um, and, and get as specific as you want for our, our listeners of what what should they be doing? What does that look like uh, for people who have maybe never done that before, never thought they could or, or should? One of my favorite things that I get to do in my job is talk to students. And one thing I always try to make kids understand, whether they're college students or kindergartners, is that the government is for you. It's literally for you. Everybody, seriously, there is no wrong way to contact your elected official. Don't be that person that's like writing an email and sitting there for 30 minutes going, what do I say? Like Googling stuff to say, like, don't freaking worry about it. Just call them, leave a voicemail. It can be three sentences, email them. It could be three sentences. Um, get with a group who's doing some advocacy work and give them 15 minutes of your time to volunteer or half an hour. There's no wrong way. And you don't need to second guess your method. You just can't stop. You just have to keep it up. The Candidates is a production of Only Sky Media, exploring the whole human experience from a secular perspective. Visit us online at onlysky.media.